Hey, St. John, welcome to the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am Deacon Estalia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, all. Today, we will be discussing the sermon from Sunday, which was Lent 4. Before we begin, I have to ask, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you? Good. I'm enjoying the sunshine. Let's go ahead and just talk about your sermon from, from Sunday. Let us know, what was the text that you preached on? Yeah, the, I preached on the Gospel reading. It's Luke chapter 15, and the reading breaks it up with verses 1 to 3, and then verses 11 to 32. And so the beginning of the reading is the context or the setting for the parable, and then 11 to 32 gives us the parable of the prodigal son. Now, why was the reading split up like that? It started out 1 through 3, and then it jumped 11 through 32. Yeah, I think the people who came up with the lectionary were trying to help us out and remind us of why Jesus tells this parable. It wasn't just told in a vacuum. You know, there was a reason for it. And I really tried to lean into that with the sermon by focusing on the Pharisees. Uh, interestingly, uh, the rest of chapter 15 will come up uh, later this year. I looked ahead in September. We'll get chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. So we'll get the first three verses again. And then we get the other parables in the chapter, which are the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. This whole chapter is about these parables of lost things or people and about the the joy of God and finding them. So what was the problem that the sermon sought to identify? Knowing that people probably have a pretty good understanding or at least knowledge of the prodigal son, you know, the details of it, it's such a well-known and well-beloved piece of scripture. I wanted to explain uh, expand our reflection on it. Usually the younger son gets a lot of the attention. We think about when we were lost in our sins and how Christ has brought us in. You know, even, you know, the hymns like Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, you know, was blind, but now I see. When Whenever we hear the parable of the prodigal son, we're, we should always kind of ask ourselves, you know, this time reading it, am I the younger son or am I the older son? And I wanted to focus on the older son today, and especially thinking about verses 1 to 3, which is the Pharisees' indignation at Jesus uh, receiving tax collectors and sinners and eating with them, and kind of lean into this idea of, are we Pharisaical in our ways? Does our behavior reflect that of the older brother? And I wanted to kind of get into that in the sermon. So do you think people in the congregation are more likely to identify themselves as sinners than as opposed to Pharisees? That was a guess of mine. That's kind of the reason why I started the sermon by saying, you know, let's fill in the blank. Jesus eats with, and as far as I heard, no one said Pharisees. You know, it was always tax collectors and sinners, or just sinners, or or something like that. And I, I think maybe just we are accustomed to thinking of ourselves as sinners and, and okay with that, by and large, because we know Jesus forgives us and loves us and he saves us. I know we say in the confession of sins, you know, you know, I poor, miserable sinner. But if you were going to name call someone, I was thinking personally, if someone called me a sinner, I'd be like, well, yeah, of course, but Christ died for me. But if someone called me a Pharisee, I'd be like, well, wait just a second. How dare you call me that? You know, I'd, I would not want to be identified that way. And I'm guessing I'm not alone in that feeling of no one wants to be called a Pharisee. Exactly. We all can recall passages where Jesus speaks very harshly to the Pharisees and calls right. them brood of vipers, right? And that was an interesting thing in your sermon was you did mention Jesus talked to the Pharisees and disciples the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's 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 really neat to see in Luke. And, and I encourage you all to grab your Bibles and pull up in Luke and just these middle chapters here. You don't know where you are. 
you get the a few times throughout on the way to Jerusalem, as he's heading to Jerusalem. You might say he stops at someone's house, but you don't even know where that is. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, which is a huge part of Luke. In chapter 9 at the end there, it's he sets his face towards Jerusalem and he's on a collision course for it. And so if you're going to organize those middle chapters, it's to whom is Jesus talking? And he's talking to Pharisees and he's talking to disciples and just goes back and forth between those two. And so I kind of played off of that piece of Luke and his structuring of his gospel, that you can kind of lose track of what Jesus is doing. And also, the teaching at this part of Luke is really tough, really heavy-duty teaching. And you'll, you'll experience that this summer when we actually go through more of, more of that content of Luke um, as the lectionary gives us the remaining of uh, the middle part there. I have a here-submitted question that has to do with this idea that we're a lot more like Pharisees than we care to admit. And this question was, were you nervous to call the congregation Pharisees? Uh, yes, uh, I certainly was. Uh, I would not like to be called a Pharisee. And so I was really concerned, and, and I tried to be quite deliberate with how I built up that case. And some of it was just to make some beginning allusions by saying when sermons are preached here, they preach to disciples and Pharisees. I've already set this up in Luke that Jesus is doing this back and forth. But even um, if I just say, like, see, Jesus is talking to disciples and Pharisees here. He's talking to us as disciples and Pharisees. You know, it's tough to have that, to accept that. And I was kind of leaning on the indignation we might feel at being accused of that. And then immediately allows us to get to the older brother. And that's also why I wanted to use that piece of artwork at the end, because now you have another Christian who is living in that reality of both disciple and Pharisee. But yeah, I was certainly nervous to call the congregation Pharisees, which is why I quickly said, I am also calling myself those things too, which is absolutely true. Let's get to the gospel of your sermon. How did you get to Jesus? How is Jesus the medicine? It's interesting to see how people will approach the parable of the prodigal son. You know, how do you get some gospel moves in there? Uh, Of course, you could talk about the father receiving his younger son and the joy at, you know, what was lost is found. And that ties in with the rest of the chapter when you have the lost sheep, right? You have the, the shepherd that leaves the 99, which is just a ludicrous idea. That is not business savvy. I'm going to go after this one sheep. And he comes back and just tells everyone, look, I found my lost sheep. You get the, you get the lost coin. And you have the, the widow who's just cleaning the house maddeningly trying to find this coin. Then she runs around and says, see, I found my coin, and throws a party. And uh, I saw a commentator mention how a confirmation student said one time to the pastor, I think the woman spent more money on the party than the coin was worth. You know, there's just the joy of God in, in, in finding what was lost. And so that's one way you can kind of get into it. Another way people get to the, the gospel and to Jesus and the parable is through the fattened calf, which is kind of a passing detail. You know, you have the, the, yeah, the calf that's sacrificed. And it's not just the calf was killed or the calf was butchered and prepared for a dinner. The verb is the verb sacrifice, which doesn't come up a whole lot in Luke. And so when that word does come up, you know, that's, that's crucifixion language, that's temple language. This is the language of how God deals with sin. And it's, it's interesting how it's just an animal off to the side that's sacrificed for the sake of restoring this relationship between God and man and gives us some context with Christ. So I mentioned that briefly at the end, how Jesus looks like the sacrificed uh, fattened calf. But here uh, today, I wanted to kind of look at the gospel in terms of Jesus actually eats with tax collectors and sinners. And this is the context of the feast in the prodigal son. You have the feast. This is the uh, an allusion to the new creation, to the restoration we have between God and man, and we don't want to be left outside that feast. And so I wanted to kind of go in that that context of who's invited. 
And that's a common theme in Luke. Not only that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, he has a ton of parables as well about feasts and banquets and, and who's invited and who's not and people who spurn invitations. Okay, I'll invite them. And it's all over the place in Luke. It's a really big theme. Sure. And something you mentioned in the sermon, which I think goes with what you're saying, is you said the good news for us is that Jesus does eat with Pharisees. Uh, yeah. The good news is that Jesus eats with Pharisees. You know, so often we say he eats with tax collectors and sinners, which is true. But Jesus even eats with the people in our lives that we uh, may not like, uh, the people who we would deem as enemies of Christ, uh, people who would um, want to lay down more burden in legalism. And we know the Pharisees are enemies on, on this side of the cross, and especially we don't want to be labeled as Pharisees. And part of the parable is exposing that we are. You know, Jesus tells the parable to the Pharisees. He's not telling it to the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's why just the parable just kind of ends with the father and the older son. And so I wanted to focus on that with us. And do we know the answer to that question? Does the older son ever enter the feast? I mean, the parable doesn't tell us. And so we have to kind of admit that and just say, yeah, I don't know. And, and I mentioned that twice in the sermon. I don't know. It doesn't say. And I kind of went to the examples of scripture gives us, gives us some hints. And so that's what allowed me to go into Peter and how Peter sees the look on Jesus' face. This is in, you know, after he's arrested after Peter denies Christ for the third time, you get this look, and it's 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 a wonder to meditate on that moment. And we'll read those verses on Good Friday. Uh, what does Peter, what does Peter see in Jesus' face that would make make him to go and weep bitterly? And I don't think it's anger. I, I think that mixture of pity and compassion, just the the love of Christ, despite what Peter has done to his Lord by denying him. I think that's one way to think about this too. How does Jesus regard the Pharisees here? And then the other example I used was Saul. Uh, Saul the Pharisee, uh, before um, converting to the faith, or before Christ converts him. And you just get the, the roughness with the Damascus Road that Christ is, he is not kind. He's not gentle with Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Blinds him. And Paul will talk about this later on in his letters. I was just chosen. I was one untimely born, and God brought me in. I it's outside of my control. You also mentioned how grace saves all of us the same way, mm -hmm. which I think is really comforting. Perhaps the reason we're really uncomfortable with being called Pharisees is the fact that we don't see many of the Pharisees being repentant in scripture. Though you did bring up the example of Nicodemus. And then this brings us back to the artwork that you talked about earlier and how Nicodemus was in there. Can you elaborate for us about that a little bit? Yeah, we, we don't see many of the Pharisees repenting. The Pharisees are often seen as the enemies of Christ. And so before we get to the artwork, I think it's worth mentioning, and I share this in the sermon, is that the Pharisees were well-liked. The Pharisees were not, were not outcasts amongst the people. They were held up at, I mentioned, like spiritual celebrities. They would be, ah, these are the really faithful guys. These are the guys that really get it. They really live out what they believe, practice what they preach. Uh, the Pharisees, they had high approval ratings amongst the people. And that's different than the Sadducees, who were just kind of sellouts and aristocrats and politicians and, you know, money greases the wheels. And that's, that's what the Sadducees are and the corrupt temple complex and all that. Now, the Pharisees, they were kind of uh, the leaders of the everyman. Uh, look, look at them. You know, you, you'd want your son to be a Pharisee in that day. And now, in, in light of Christ, we see 
how off they were, right? Looking at themselves, covering their sins, trying to self-justify. And so I think that's part of the reason why it's uncomfortably called a Pharisee, because we see it on this side of things. And that's why I think Nicodemus is a wonderful example. And in the darkness of night, uh, Nicodemus goes and talks to the scandalous rabbi from Nazareth. And they talk about baptism. They're talking about being born of water and the spirit. And you don't know what really happens with Nicodemus after that. John just continues on as John does. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 19, after Christ is crucified, after it is finished, Nicodemus is one of the people helping to bring Christ down and prepare his body for burial. And so what I loved about that example was how we see Nicodemus the Pharisee, and at the end of the gospel, we see Nicodemus the disciple. And I thought that was a nice way to kind of make that connection for us, um, Think about our lives as Christians, still wrestling with our sins, but living in that reality of we are disciples of Christ, and yet we still sin. And I thought it was really moving seeing Nicodemus in that artwork by Michelangelo. Yeah. And can you talk about how you came across it and why you decided to include that? Yeah, honestly, I, I, I stumbled across it. And that's what I said, because I was like, I thought of Nicodemus, maybe that might be a nice way to kind of bring conclusion to the sermon. So I was just, well, maybe there's some artwork in Nicodemus I can reflect on or get some insight in. And I stumbled across this piece, just some, doing some internet searching. And uh, yeah, it's it's called the deposition. You know, when you think about, you know, deposing a king, right? And there's King Jesus being deposed from his throne, from his cross. I mean, just re- what, a, what a cool reference there. And yeah, Michelangelo makes the sculpture and the story behind the sculpture is he's older in age, his skills are not there, and he gets so frustrated with his work, he starts to strike it. And we think about people who get, you know, enraged and they break something. We, we do this sort of stuff. We let our worst sides uh, get the better of us especially when we're frustrated that our abilities are failing or that we don't have it all together. And then finding out that he depicts Nicodemus with his face and features, I'm like, ah, this is perfect. Here is another Christian, and it's Michelangelo, like this accomplished artist, right? You go to the Sistine Chapel, just look in awe at the ceiling there. And here's Michelangelo not put together. And he's working on a piece depicting Christ, who is crucified for him. And so what does Michelangelo do? He depicts himself as Nicodemus, this Pharisee, these people who pretend and show off and try to show that they're put together. By putting himself there, he's admitting he's not put together. And he needs the Savior that's dead in in, in the arms of Nicodemus and Mary, um, and Mary Magdalene too. And so I thought it was just a a nice example and hopefully kind of helps with communicating the idea that we we are Pharisees and disciples. And to see another Christian confessing this and admitting it, I think helps us to recognize that, yeah, that's true about me too, Pharisee and disciple at the same time. Definitely shows a different side to Michelangelo that maybe we hadn't really thought of, just his human side, that he's frail, weak, struggling, just like all of us. Yeah. And I guess there's another way to say this too, and we talk about this in other contexts about being disciples and Pharisees. Another way we say this as Christians is that we are both sinners and saints, they were simultaneously saint and sinner. And it's not like I'm being saintly over here and sinner over here. We're constantly both. We have been recreated in Christ through our baptism, and our old sinful nature still lingers. You know, the old man and the new man, as the small catechism talks about when it talks about baptism. That's our reality until Christ comes and resurrects our bodies and restores us, as we have this ongoing dual reality about us, that we're simultaneously saint and sinner. And that's kind of what I was trying to do with the Pharisees and disciples thing. That can be good for us to remember that when we see someone else who seems spiritually put together, as you said, they too are sinner, or, or the opposite, where if we think someone is beyond redemption, right, that, that they too are a saint, part of the 
the church, the body of Christ. Yeah, I, I like that that language of beyond redemption. And you're thinking in terms of someone who's so lost. Now we're thinking back to the younger son. They're so right. beyond redemption. How can you welcome them? They're a sinner. They're a tax collector. Or like Saul. The, and that's the move. In But we can go beyond redemption the other way. There is no one who is so holy in life and in living and in appearance and put togetherness and how well they have memorized Bible verses. No one is that far beyond redemption either. All of us need redemption. And whether... Um, through just this complete lostness of the younger son or the complete lostness of the older son, neither it, it can be too far from redemption. And all of us need that redemption that comes through Christ. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this sermon. This wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to today's discussion. If you missed the sermon or want to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes. You can also find the sermon on our church website, stjohndublin.org. If you, the listener, would like to submit a question about a sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Or if you'd prefer to text a question, please text the phone number found in the show notes. Thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Yeah, absolutely. And just real quick, we'll also throw a link in there for the artwork for the Michelangelo's Deposition, so you can find that as well in the show notes. Take care, everyone. See ya.